Hi there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Adam. And this is Chris. And tonight we're going to talk about three two-player card games, essentially. On the menu, we have Airland and Sea, Radlands, and Star Wars, the deck building game. But first, we had a poll question that we put on social media. This time, we're just going to read off the Twitter ones. Sometimes we do on Facebook. I don't know if we did it tonight. Tim omitted that in the show notes tonight. By the way, you might notice, Chris, Tim isn't here, and I'm going to try to stumble through the talking. Wait, Tim's not here? Where's Tim? Right? I don't know. What are we going to do? Oh, actually, just just so everybody knows, Tim abandoned us this evening because he's soaking up the sun in Costa Rica. So shame on you, Tim. But we're going to try to prove that we can actually do this. I think we can. You wouldn't think anything could trump board games for Tim. Apparently, Costa Rica is one of the few things that'll take board games out of his uh, life for a moment. I'll take board games anytime, man. No Costa Rica. Come on. I know. Come on. The poll question was, and this somehow ties in miraculously to the subject of tonight's show, what's your ideal length for a two-player game? The options were less than 30 minutes, 30 to 90 minutes, greater than 90 minutes, or the catch-all depends on the opponent. And some interesting results here. Chris, what do you have to say about this? Well, it depends, but it doesn't really depend on the opponent as much. It depends on the game. And that's not actually what I put. I think I put 30 minutes because I'm thinking about games like the ones we played tonight, which, by the way, part of the reason that we did those games tonight was because this is a kind of game that Adam and I really love. It's these two-player dueling games. And pretty rarely do we actually have just two players playing on our game nights. So since we only had the two of us tonight, we thought what a great opportunity to dig into not one, not two, but three of the kind of games that we love to talk about and that we love to play because the situation was just right for that. But anyway, these kind of games, 30 minutes is about right, maybe a little bit longer, give or take. But then there's also other kinds of two player games, too. Like you have uh, Watergate was one that you had mentioned earlier, Adam. It's a great game, a little bit heavier but very much a game that's intended to be two players. And for a game like that, I'd say that one goes somewhere between half hour to an hour, and that's a great length for that. But the reality is, if I love a game, I love playing it with any player count. So I frequently play big games like Barrage or Tapestry or some of my all-time favorites like that that'll take a couple of hours. And if I'm playing it two-player, so be it. I think that that is perfectly fine. No complaints about that at all. What did you say, Adam? My thoughts were similar. I said less than 30 minutes just for purposes of the poll's sake. But, you know, I like getting my reps in. Some of these games tonight, I would I'd be happy to play these games over and over and over again and dig up the little nuances and find the little quirks, the little edge cases that can be exploited with the right combination of cards. I think that's a blast to find these different explosions of card combinations. But on the other hand, I love playing Star Wars Rebellion, and I think I would also love playing War of the Ring. These are two-player games that can go four, five, six hours, seven hours if my dad's playing, eight, all like three days if my dad's playing. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of it depends on the situation and what you have going on. But in general, I prefer the less than 30 minutes. Poll results on Twitter, 24.5%. That's right. We go decimal places here. Uh, said less than 30 minutes. 30 to 90 minutes was 58.3. The vast majority was in that 30 to 90 minute slot. Greater than 90 minutes, that went way down 2.6%. And then depends on opponent 
was at 14.6%. Some of the listener feedback we got, Jim Time Games says, depends on the type of game. Higher the luck, shorter the game. I thought that was neat. That's an easy formula to remember. You've just given me the next idea for my uh, for my next spreadsheet, so thank you for that. <laughs> Charles Hasegawa said, I don't think there is an ideal game length regardless of the number of players. There's certainly an ideal length for some games, but I'm happy to play short two-player and much longer ones as well. And no boundaries for Charles. I love it. Charles, can't continue. Yep, totally agree with that. And Stib, at Stib Gaming, says he likes his games about 90 CM. Any more won't fit on my table. Uh, CM? Chris, I'm not familiar with that term. Seems like maybe a unit of measurement from context. You used to live near Canada, right? <laughs> Any idea what CM means? Um, I think it means hours. Well, I wasn't sure, but assuming that is a length and it's somewhere under three feet, about 2.95, I don't know, 276 feet roughly, um, I think Stib is right on. He knows what size game is going to work for him, and he's not afraid to put it out there. Well, that'll do it for the poll results. On to the first game of the night, Air, Land, and Sea. And here we're going from the littlest game that we played tonight all the way up to the biggest game that we played tonight. And that's kind of how we're doing it. Not sure why we think one game is bigger than the other, but I don't know. That's what we said we were going to do. That's what we said we were going to do. Maybe by, by a play time or amount of stuff in the box. I think that either one of those probably applies to the order we're doing it tonight. So Airland and Sea was definitely the littlest of the games we played tonight. It is both small in production and it is small in play time which uh, is a good or bad thing, depending on how you look at the play times and how you an answered that poll that Adam was just talking about. In Air, Land, and Sea, there is a very small deck of cards that are dealt out to two players with a few cards that, are, that remain in the draw deck that do not get dealt out. And you have three larger cards, Air, Land, and Sea, that indicate three different theaters of war. So this is a World War II-themed game and the cards all reflect that. They looked like uh, World War II recruiting posters, and they're kind of cool, old-fashioned art on those. And the idea is you have one player on each side of each of those theaters of war, and each turn you play one card from your hand that you've been dealt onto one of those theaters of war. And generally speaking, they're going to belong in a certain place. So a card that has airplanes on it is going to be an air card, and that's going to go in the air theater. And ships, battleships and whatnot, submarines are going to go in the sea theater of war. And each one has a point value. Most of them have a action that goes along with it or some card effect as well. And so essentially what you're doing is you're throwing down these cards and trying to have at the end of each round the most value in that theater. So I may throw down a card that has a six value and a two value in C. And Adam may have a four and a one, so five total. And I would win that theater. And at the end of each round, whoever owns two of the three theaters, whoever has the highest point value is going to be the winner of that round and is going to get six points toward the total endgame score. And it goes up to 12 points. I'll talk for a second about the other effect cards, too. But we'll talk about that, I think, more when we get into the game itself. But some of them let you do things like flip over cards that change them from whatever their original value is to a value of two. There are others that let you play a card in a different theater than it would normally go and that sort of thing. The one other thing that I'll mention about the rules in this game is that there is a way to strategically withdraw from a particular battle. So if I am in the middle of a game and I know that Adam is about to crush me, there's no way I can win, I can concede earlier in that round 
and he would get fewer points. So he would win. I would keep giving him the win, but I'd be giving him fewer points with that win. So that's the rule. It's a pretty simple game. Uh, it took me about three minutes to learn and probably about 10 minutes for Adam to crush me at this game. So Adam, this is one that I know that you've played before and is a, you're a big fan of it. Uh, tell me tell me your thoughts on it. Yeah, it's just a, a tiny little box. It's simple. You got the cards. And that last thing you talked about, the ability to concede, I think is one of my favorite parts of this game. It gives you an interesting choice right off the bat. You look at your hand of cards. Well, is this a hand of junk or how can I put this together? to you know to crush my opponent do i have a chance it's almost a push your luck i can stick around and go for the victory or i can nope i'm gonna retreat and try to win the war i'm gonna lose this battle but i'm gonna try to win the war and just mitigate what's happening here so it's thematic in a way and it gives you an interesting choice that a lot of these games don't have so i think that's a really neat aspect how'd you feel about that ability to concede or withdraw as they call it here I actually really like that. And I forget, it was a while back that we had that, I think, as a question on one of our polls. What do you feel about pulling out of a game? And in this game, it is actually part of the rules. Another game that you and I play a lot that has that same kind of mechanism to it through the ages. Although in through the ages, it's basically a way of saying, I'm going to lose this game. I don't want to play anymore. In air, land, and sea, it's a way of saying, we're going to keep playing, but I'm going to stop because I don't want you to get as many points. I thought it was really nice. We actually used that, or I used that one round this game, where I drew some cards, and I had a handful of ones and twos. I was actually shocked at how bad my cards were, and I kind of made some kvetching comment about that to Adam. He said, well, you know, you can just withdraw right away, and I'm only going to get two points. Thought about it a little bit, looked at my cards, and said, yep, that's probably the best thing to do. So I did, and you only got two points, and it kept the game going a little bit longer. The flip side of that, and this goes to the push-your-luck point that you were talking about, there was another hand, another round, where I thought I had you. I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm dragging this one out to the end, and I'm winning this one. And then you pulled some jujitsu on me at the very end there where you flipped one of my cards, and, and I didn't get it. But I probably should have conceded, but I pushed my luck, and I failed. Yeah, this is one you mentioned that while we were playing. It helps to know the cards and be familiar with them, the different capabilities that they can do. The good thing is there's not that many cards in the game. I think we get dealt each uh, six, and then there's six more that don't get revealed. So what is that, 18 cards in the whole game to think about and to memorize? And then range in value from one to six. So you get familiar with them pretty quick. You have an idea, but not an exact idea of what your opponent's going to have. I like that small card set, again, where you can get familiar with what's going to happen and how can you combo those together. That's fantastic to me. One of the mechanisms, the mechanics that I like here is the ability to play your cards upside down into any theater. It counts as a two strength if you play it upside down. Not only that, there's abilities from these other cards that let you flip a card in any theater. So maybe you're playing this battleship that has a value of six, but you can't really put it in theater you want to put. So you're sliding it over here to the air theater as a two. And later on, you can flip it and boom, now you've got a six there somehow flying around in the sky, fighting against other airplanes. Maybe not super thematic, but you know, like a surprise attack is how I like to look at that. I think that the flip mechanism and the cards that let you flip other cards is pretty neat. And they use that well here in this game. Yeah, I'm not sure how I felt about the flipping in some of those card actions, the card effects. And maybe this is just because I haven't played it enough, but it felt like there's so many things that you could do to your opponent, by which I meant you did to me, <laughs> that, that really just completely changed the game. You can sort of guess at because if you know the cards, then you know what's out there. 
But what that really means is I can do almost anything I want and have no idea if it's going to have any impact because I know that you have multiple opportunities to just wail on my card. You know, it's like that jujitsu I was talking about. I throw down a, a ship that's worth a six. Oh, well, you just flipped it and turned it into a two. Or you just did some other crazy thing to it. Maybe you put it back in my hand. Or in other words, your opponent can influence what you're doing, what your cards do so much that I actually felt almost powerless. Maybe I'd feel a little bit differently about it if I played it some more and I didn't know the cards better. I'm not sure. But I mean, what does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, it does. I think it's it comes with more familiarity or you play a card expecting it to get flipped and then you have a card yourself that can flip it back. You, you know, a powerful card, you can expect it to get flipped at least once and then maybe have the chance to flip it back or use it in a clever way. So you have to plan for a powerful card to get flipped early on. At least I do and be able to mitigate that or somehow use it cleverly later on in the game. So I think it's all becomes part of the strategy and part of the tactics of the game. I think it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, I can see your point there because I think I was going into it thinking, oh man, I hope he doesn't have a flip card. And probably what I needed to do was go into it thinking, he probably does have a flip card. He's probably going to make that super battleship that's worth six points. He's probably going to make that go away. I've got to try to figure out if there's a way to mitigate that by being able to flip it back which unfortunately in this case i didn't which was which is a little frustrating so he was able to flip all my cards and i couldn't do anything about it so that that sucked it's almost like the geist card in ennis tells the guy to discard his card or pick the card back up he can't use it anymore mm-hmm. so you have to kind of plan for it everything's gonna get flipped or what am i gonna play now to make him use his flip card so i can use this other card later? so i like that little cat and mouse there that this game uh, ends up having. So moving on to production and theme, you just have the three big cards that are the three theaters, and then you have the linen cards and some uh, some tokens. So not much as far as production, nothing pizzazzy, nothing uh, extravagant, but a nice production. I own this game. The cards have a nice finish. So the production is right about what do you expect for a card game, for a reasonably priced card game. What do you think of production here, Chris? I mean, it's a small card game. The most you can ask out of a game like that is that have decent art on it. And this game had really good art on it. I enjoyed it. It looked, uh, I think you had made the comment, it looked like World War II recruiting posters or propaganda posters or something like that. And all the numbers in the cards were stamped on in that way that, you know, for anybody, anybody who's been in the military, like both Adam, both Adam and I, he was, I was on the, the land uh, theater of war. He was in the air theater of war <laughs> where they stencil your social security number or whatever on your duffel bag. Or at that's least right. that's they, used to, they used to do that back in the days. They probably don't do it anymore because of identity theft. But anyway, I, I digress dramatically. It was cool looking. I really liked it. The art was fun. It was big, impactful, dramatic in a game full of cards. You know, what else can you ask for? Right. So the theme is that World War II theme and it does have those propaganda. If that's not your thing, I get it. They do have a re-implementation of this called the Air, Land and Sea Critters at War. And you're fighting, you know, you have these uh, anthropomorphic, Tim's favorite word, anthropomorphic critters fighting battles and a little cuter if if that floats your boat rather than uh, World War II, which I can totally understand. Have you played that version of it? No, I haven't played that version, but it's a direct, what I understand is basically a direct re-implementation just with different art, same card effects, the same everything else. Because that's actually a good point because this game is so simple. Anybody could learn this game. I mean, this is like, you could play this as a, you could play this as a family weight game. And I think having an option of having a family weight 
art set on there is, is actually a really nice option. Now, clearly it has enough going on that it doesn't have to be a family weight game. You know, we played it and enjoyed it tonight, but I, I think that's kind of cool. I'd actually, I'm curious to look at that now. Yeah, I've considered picking it up before because it does look like a nice version. I also want to mention this game has Airland and Sea, Spies, Lies, and Supplies, which can either be a standalone or you can mix that uh, with the base game too for a kind of a new experience. I haven't tried that. I've heard mixed reviews on that, but it's something I would like to try at some point. So Chris, would you request to play this game again? I don't think so. I thought this game was a little bit too slight for me. I love deck building games. I love card games. This one, that small deck of cards just wasn't my thing. I, again, felt like I was being you know slapped around without any recourse for you know a few rounds. And that may be, it probably is my not knowing the cards well enough. But one of the things that I love about card games is having a big, wide set of cards where you get to see all kinds of interesting things. Here, seeing the same cards come up over and over and over again, it just it left me a little bit flat. It's not bad. And if you said, hey, we got five minutes, 10 minutes, let's play a quick game of this, you know, at a game night, I would absolutely play it, probably have a nice time doing it, but it's not one I'd go out looking for. Okay. Yeah. This is one I happen to enjoy. I own it. I would definitely play this one again. I like play with my dad. It is a quickie. Um, go in, use your brain a little bit. How can I mix these cards around in the different columns and win this war and maybe pull it out? Or am I going to bail out early? I love that mechanism, like I already said. So yeah, I request to play this one again, and I'd like to try these additional uh, expansions and re-implementations as well. Yeah, it would be uh, it would be cool to try with the expansion to see what that brings to the game, because I can see the potential of it. And I forgot to mention when I was talking about the rules that the designer of Air, Land, and Sea is John Perry, artist Valerio Buonfantino, and Stephen Gibson, and it's published by Arcane Wonders. Next up, we played... Radlands. This is a game we've talked about on the show before, designed by Daniel Pichnik with art, beautiful art by Lena Cosetti, Damien Mamalodi, and Manny Trimbley. I just noticed when you said Manny Trimbley, I did not know this was Manny Trimbley art. We know him from Wonderland's War, which is, I think, another art set that we have really loved looking at. So, and we'll, we'll talk more about the art, but. Sorry, Chris, I recognize the name, but didn't make the connection with Wonderland's War. Both the arts, yeah. uh, the art style is fantastic in both of those games. Yeah, and honestly, I'm surprised that there was multiple artists because this is such a cohesive set of art pieces in this one that I thought it was all one artist, but I feel like I'm I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, you know, with describing the art. We'll come back to because I know this is something that you and I both have pretty strong feelings on. In Radlands, you are, I don't know what you call these gangs, tribes, whatever you call them, of Mad Max style folks in some kind of a post-apocalyptic wasteland where water is your currency and you have to make sure you've got it in order to send your troops out into the field to try to take the water from the other players and kill their bases. You start with nine spaces in a tableau, and at the bottom, you have your three bases, and each one provides some kind of a benefit. And then for the rest of the game, each turn, you're taking whatever water you have, which is your currency, and using that to play whatever cards you want to play. And there's different cards that you can play. You can play events that will move up an event track after you play them until they reach the top in however many turns it takes. 
and then the event will spring into action. And it could be something like a sneak attack that bombs your opponent's bases or kills members of the other opponent's clan or gives you a benefit or something like that. You can also play character cards. And your character cards are these really funky, colorful, I don't know, punk characters that have, I mean, I think every single one of them has got some kind of a mohawk. They are the ones that you use to attack the opponent or to cure people that, you know, have been wounded on the battlefield or to fix equipment that's been destroyed. Main thing being to attack those bases because the end game result here that you want is to kill all of your opponent's bases. Once you kill all three of those bases, they're done and you're the winner. There's also a few other items in there that we'll get into a little bit more detail, but that is the gist of Radlands. Right. So let's get into the mechanisms here in Radlands. And unlike Airland and Sea, where you have the three theaters in the middle, here you have the bases kind of at the edges towards the players. If we're sitting opposite each other towards the player side, and you kind of have to burrow your way through these cards and these characters to get some hits on those bases. A little bit similar, a little bit different. And I guess the main thing here is the the tableau building. It kind of matters where you're putting these cards out. That provides a little bit of protection to the base that they're in front of. And if a player or a card is in front of another one in the column, that protects the subsequent players behind them. So a little bit interesting here with the spatial aspect of this tableau builder. What do you think of that? Chris, and what do you think? Well, what do you think of that spatial aspect first of, of the position of these cards making a difference? I liked it. I thought that was very thematic. You know, you can't fight somebody's base or you can't attack somebody's base if there's people out in front defending it, right? So that kind of made perfect sense. And I like that aspect of it. Another aspect that I think kind of flows in that same vein is the disabled versus the active characters. Every card that you've got on the board can be in one of a couple different statuses. It can either be an active card that can be used for whatever the benefit is, as long as you can pay the water cost, or they can be inactive, which means that they've been hurt. So it takes, for most cards, two hits in order to destroy the card. And once it's destroyed, it's off the board and it's gone. But as long as it's on the board, it can be dis- it can be deactivated or it can be disabled, but you might have another character or another card that lets you revive a card that's been disabled. And so not only you, so you can essentially have a disabled character. So I don't know if that's like a body laying on the battlefield, but it's something that someone's going to trip over on their way to attack your base. So if you put these characters out in front of the base, they have to get attacked first, which means maybe they get disabled. But while they're doing that, they're also protecting your base from being hit and destroyed. Yeah, you got a lot of bodies in the way here as the game goes on. One thing for me that I struggle with is the tightness here in the game. You've got the water, like you said, that's your currency. And then you've got cards, which are kind of your other resource themselves. They're multi-use. In the top left of each card, you can discard uh, the card and get that benefit, which might advance any events you have over on the event where they might get your Raiders card moving up so you can raid and get some damage on your opponent's base quicker but it's tough you have to make some really tight decisions on which cards you're going to keep how you're going to spin that water are you going to bank a card for next round with that water tower card that's kind of a neat mechanism here just the general tightness and difficulty to get things going how do you feel about that chris that's that's a tough one for me i had a really hard time with that there were places where i had one card in my hand and that was all i had to go through the next round 
or I think one time I even had zero cards in my hand. So it was brutal. I mean, that was so hard to do. And there were ways to get a card into your hand. I mean, you could spend a couple of water to get one, but that's like spending half of your resources just to get another card. And who knows if it's even going to be one that's going to be useful to you. So I thought that was really, really challenging. Now, the one thing I want to come back to just for one second, and it kind of gets to that point. You mentioned the water tower. At first, I was like, what in the world is this water tower for? Because basically what it lets you do is pay a water to take a card that's going to get you a water next round. I'm like, why would I want to pay a water to get a water? Yeah. It wasn't until we played it a little bit that I realized the idea there is that if you have an extra water this round, like a water that you don't really have a good use for, it's not a bad idea to bank it so that you can start the next round with four water. So it actually could be quite useful. Yeah. And the card costs here. So this is has a very different feel from something like Star Realms where the, some of the cards cost eight bucks and nine bucks. Here, the highest card I think is like four waters they're all four waters or less and for the most part you pay for the card um, to put it out there it comes in unready so you can't use it that round you have to wait around before you can use it and then that subsequent round is when you can use it if it hasn't gotten damaged or injured by the other player so that is tough too it's actually it feels tough to get some of these more exciting cards out there and be able to use them so that was kind of tricky one for me too it seems like Sometimes it seems like you can't do much. You have to really be thoughtful about how you're going to get this guy or gal in play and be able to use it before they get taken out. Yeah. If I had one big complaint about this game, it was it was that. It was the fact that it was so difficult to make things happen. And I, and I guess, you know, you played enough and maybe it's – you kind of learn the ways to – optimize what it is that you have i mean this game was kind of funny because we were like two rounds in and i'm like bam i already took out two of adam's bases and i was thinking i was pretty awesome so i was i was pretty proud of myself at that point but i had no guys out at the end of that and he had two guys or three guys out and the next round he basically wiped out everything that i owned except for one base and at that point i had a one card in my hand and i'm like okay well one card isn't going to help me And so I totally get what you're saying about that. But, you know, clearly you found a way to optimize that. So it can be done. But I guess the question is whether you find that puzzle enjoyable. And certainly we've played games where there is a very challenging puzzle, but it's challenging to the point where it's almost not fun. Do you think that I mean, I I know you like this game, so I assume that you don't think this one is challenging to the point of not being fun? Well, yeah. Yeah, there's some, it can be frustrating at times because it is tough to find those resources. And you did wipe out a couple of my bases there. So that made it easy to concentrate on saving the one base that was still left over. So that let me put some, so it made some easy choices there and then let me protect my guys quickly and kind of consolidate my forces, which I think is a little bit thematic here. But in general, that has been my sense with this game. It has been tricky to find the right ways to get anything done to accomplish anything fun in this game so that is a little a little bit downer for me something that is totally fun is the artwork here moving on to production and theme i think they knocked it out of the park on both production and theme here i own this one as well i have the deluxe version you've got these chunky water tokens the cards have some heft to them they legitimately feel like they've got some some grams going back to the metric system, like from that poll question, they've got some some heft and some grams, some weight as you're playing. That feels good holding these cards that are difficult to play. At least it feels good holding them in your hand um, as you're playing this game. This game, <laughs> the art is absolutely 
delightful. I, I just can't stress enough how much I love looking at the art in this game. It is so fun. It's like, what's the synthwave? Is that the that style of art? Yeah, synthwave, synthpunk kind of stuff. Yeah, synthwave, synthpunk, 80s, bright colors, all these weird Mad Max scenes, gigantic, you know, mega cannons up on these like skinny little stilts getting ready to fall over because I don't know, that's just how things are in the post-apocalyptic world. But every single card that I saw, I just wanted to look at and like dissect it with my eyes and see all the different pieces of it and get to know who these characters are. Honestly, I was looking at this game going, they need to make a cartoon series out of this. Mm -hmm. This should be on like Cartoon Network. That's what I thought. Yeah, more than more than a lot of other games, I feel like this is like a comic book story or from some series or something. You can just that it comes to life playing these games. We're playing this game in particular with the different scenes that uh, Manny Trimbley and all that this team of artists is making. Beautiful art. The color palette is fantastic. It's that vibrant, like he said. I don't know what it's in. Lots of neons. Post-apocalyptic plus some neon. So Mad Max with some neon colors in there is what uh, the sense is when I am looking at this game. I also have the player mats. Totally unnecessary, but totally necessary if you're me because they're fantastic. The production and theme and art is all around for this game are just magic. I haven't played the physical version, but I I hear what you're saying. I could see that with the cards, that they're going to be these big, hefty, substantial cards. Um, I'd love to play it with them, but I have not yet. So Chris, with all the tightness and the difficulty, the frustration that we talked about playing this game, would you request to play this game? Is there a situation where you'd request to play this game again? Yeah, absolutely. This is one that I really do want to try again with the caveat that if I didn't start feeling more of a sense of fun and getting things done after a few plays, I might start backing away from it a little bit for all the reasons that you said. I thought those were all really good points. And, you know, I don't want to spend how, you know, an hour or two banging my head against a wall, but I do want to do the things that this game lets you do. I want to find a way to make those work. I want them to succeed. They're they're all fun options. It's just hard to make them happen. And I want to sit there and look at these cards. Yeah, I played this game about uh, maybe 10 times. And a lot of the times you're not going to get the, a lot of times I haven't gotten those combinations in there and be able to make something fun happen. And it just has been tight the whole time. I can get one or two cards out and then they just get shot down and injured again. So it, I had had some draw out a little bit and be a little frustrating. I thought tonight's play was was really fun. I got the victory, which is always nice. But I got to put some combos together. I feel like you got to take out some of my bases early. You know, some fun things happen, some fun back and forth. But honestly, after, I don't know, 10 plays or so, this game doesn't have quite that explosion of joy that I was hoping it would have, at least from the gameplay. Now, looking at the art, it's a totally different story. That is enough to keep me drawn in and going just because that is absolutely fantastic. So mixed feelings for me here on this one. That is Radlands. Up next, we played a new deck builder from fantasy flight games with an old familiar ip this was star wars the deck building game this is brand new came out in 2023 designed by caleb grace with art by jake murray and 34 more so if you're interested (laughs) go ahead over board game geek and you can check out all of those artists So Star Wars, the deck building game also has the distinction of being one of the few games that has a colon in the name that doesn't actually bother me (laughs) because it is an it is a very 
useful identifier that you're not playing Star Wars Rebellion, you're not playing Star Wars, the it was the Outer Rim, you're playing yeah. Star Wars, the deck building game. So this game is going to be very familiar to anybody who has played deck building games before games like Star Realms or Hero Realms or Cthulhu. Any game that has realms in the name, if you've played those before, you're going to recognize this one. Other examples uh, that are not strict, straight deck building games, the Clank series has a heavy dose of deck building, as does Dune Imperium. So many, many of the same the same types of mechanisms in this game that you'd have in those. So I'm not going to get into a big description of the general mechanisms, because as with most deck building games, you're going to be playing cards that are going to give you a couple of different uh, resources. In this game, you have cards that give you money, cards that give you attack which is pretty standard. And the third that's a little bit different is it gives you influence with the force. And so let me focus on a couple of things that make this game different from the standard deck builder. One is the force track. On one side of the board, you've got a track that has a force token in the, that starts uh, with the rebels and it can move in either direction. It can either move toward one player or away from that player. Whichever player, whichever side of the, the board it's on the player on that side is going to be that that's the player that has the force behind them. And so that's going to give you various things throughout the game benefits based on things that's that it says in your cards. And potentially, if you get it all the way to the far end of the track on your side, then you also get a free resource money to spend every turn. The other thing that really sets this game apart, and I found very interesting was the fact that the market row is very player specific. It's faction specific. So for those who played, I'm going to use Star Realms as the example because it's a game that I play all the time, very familiar with, and I know that a lot of our listeners have played that. There are four factions and you can buy any faction you want. They You, you want to combo them together because that's the way to be most efficient, but you can buy anything, which is, in my view, it's fun to do, but it's a huge thematic failing. In this game, when a card comes out into the market row, you have two choices. If it's a card of your faction, like say, for example, in this game, I was the Empire, I can buy the Empire cards, but it wouldn't make any sense for me able to buy a Rebel card. I can't buy an X-Wing, but what I can do if the X-Wing is in the market row, I can attack it. And if I can attack it successfully, then I can get a benefit from that card and it comes out of the trade row the same way as if Adam had bought it as the Rebel Alliance. And I thought that was... Well, I won't get into the value judgments yet. I'm just talking about the rules at this point, so I'll, <laughs> I'll stop there. But that's the stuff that sets Star Wars, the deck building game, aside from most of the deck builders that we've played before. Adam, what did you what did you think? What was what did you find interesting in the gameplay here? Well, great question, Chris. But before I answer that, I want to have a note about the designer, Caleb Grace, while I'm thinking about it. I was like, who is this guy? So I went and researched him. He's had a hand in making Marvel Champions the card game, and The Lord of the Rings, the card game. Both games have um, a solid reputation behind them. So Caleb Grace emerging here as a quality card game designer. Yeah. Uh, I thought that connection was interesting. That market row I thought was stellar, Chris. That made this game stand apart from a lot of the other deck builders that we play all the time. The ability to attack an opponent. Like Han Solo came out, and you just destroyed Han Solo before I even got to buy him into my deck i thought that was cool and then princess leia i she vanished too did you take her out i didn't even she was she came and left quicker than i could blink an eye 
you were taking out all of my awesome people. I think I took out one of your low-level generals or something. That market row was just cool. The way these cards rotate so you can read what you get if it's not your card and you can read what you're going to get. If it is your card, you kind of rotate them facing the player that is that faction. So there's there's writing upside down if you're the opposite faction, which is cool. And then you touched on it too, the neutral cards that either faction can buy, and there's no reward for taking them out. The ability to kind of manage uh, your deck and actually construct a deck, build the deck as you're going on, I thought was great. A lot of agency and just interesting decisions come right from that that market row. So that was fantastic. What did you think of the, what do they call them, capital ships that are kind of like the bases or outposts in Star Realms that you put out there to protect your your main bases, which we could talk about that too. I thought they were cool. They were a pretty standard feature from deck building games. I think maybe the thing that was different here was that the capital ships protected your planet base, your main base, whatever you want to call that. But you had multiple main bases. So unlike in a standard deck builder where you're essentially attacking the player on the other side and trying to will them down to nothing. In this game, you have multiple choices. Like you can use your attack to take out the capital ships, which you have to use to get to their base planets. And then you have to attack their base planets. But you can also choose to use that attack in order to take out those cards in the market row for those benefits. But to the capital ships, I thought they were super cool. They added, they were fun to look at. They added some interesting benefits. Like you had some that gave you a resource or they gave you an attack or some other benefit beyond just the fact that they're protecting your base planet. And I thought that made them a lot of fun. A couple of differences that stand out. Yeah, I, I thought they were great, Chris. A couple of things that stand out here for me as well was the way you touched on it. You have to dedicate attack. You kind of have to send your ships out to different locations to put their attack there. You can send them to a specific card in the market row to take it out, or you can dedicate two or three ships to take out a capital ship, or you can send it to the other player's home base. You have to decide where those go, where those ships are going to go, and you can't split it up. So I thought that's cool. It's not just a giant accumulation of attack power. There's a little more nuance to where you're going to send those ships. Now, having said that, there there's a little more nuance there. So it's going to take a little more time and it's not necessarily as clean as something like star realms where you just add up this attack and boom, 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 everybody gets destroyed and it's the other player's turn. So I liked it. And then there was that aspect of it that was, Oh man, this is a little more to it, a little more thoughtful here. It's going to take a little longer to get through a game. But man, look at how much theme you got by that one little tweak. It, I, I didn't think it took a whole lot more thought or effort. I do agree it took some. But thematically, what a difference. I mean, obviously, you can't have, like, let's say I've got a ship that's going to do four damage. That ship can't be attacking Tatooine and, I don't know, name your other planet base character, whatever, at the same time. So yeah. it made perfect sense. And I thought you got a lot of thematic mileage out of that for relatively little additional rules overhead i absolutely agree i thought it was fantastic um so i thought this was very cool what about the force track we didn't super exploit that much i had a little bit of chance to do it maybe i got a couple benefits here and there although i didn't use it much i thought that was really cool too you're having this struggle over who kind of controls the high ground or the low ground of the force Almost something like I feel like Path of Light and Shadow was trying to do. Here, it's so much easier and so much cleaner. You're just tracking it. It's a little tug-of-war mechanism. If you have control of the Force, you can get more benefits. If they have control, they get a little benefit. 
I thought that was a nice, simple, easily trackable addition uh, to a deck building game that I haven't seen before. Yeah, I agree. And again, a big thematic ad for a little bit of rules overhead. And I think we didn't exploit it much, but I definitely can see how you could because there were a handful of cards. I'm not even, I'm not sure how many I saw, but there was at least several of them, I would say, that gave you a benefit if the force is on your side. So I had one, for example, that gave me additional attack power for one card if the force is on my side. I had another card that let me draw a card if the force was on my side when I played that particular card. So it really was a tug of war because you always had to be concerned about, well, some of my cards, I had the I had the option of using them for one thing or another, and I can use them to get force points or I can use them to get attack or whatever else. And of course, you always want to buy the big cards. You uh-huh. want to do the big damage. But then it's like, mm, but I really have to make sure that Adam is not getting complete control of the force here. So you really have to put a little bit of thought into how you address that and how you allocate your resources. Agreed. I thought that was a very nice touch. Also, the bases here I thought were cool. You, uh, There's a couple of variations on how to pick your bases. We played, we just have a starting base, and then we just randomly took the next two and kind of put that under. And those bases were neat too. The first one was pretty weak. It got blew up, um, blown up pretty quickly for both of us. And then there was a little benefit on these next bases, which are just planets from the Star Wars universe. So mine was uh, one of mine was the first card I buy each round goes right to the top of my deck, which in deck building is huge. You get to get that card into your hand and maybe you buy it right away and you have a card that lets you draw a card. It's in your hand instantly. You don't even have to wait for the next turn. So those planets, those bases, I thought were fantastic. Some neat abilities on those. Any um, Anything to add with that, Chris? Yeah, I thought those were really cool too. And one, I mean, this is just a great example of what a, a big difference those bases can make in the game. You killed my first base, and then my second base came up. And the benefit from that base was one attack point for every alliance card in the trade row. And every card in the trade row (laughs) was an alliance card, a rebel card. And so just from you taking out my base, I basically just like shot that right back at you and took out your base at the same time. That was pretty wild. I mean, I wish I could say that I planned it that way. I mean, it was, you know, that would have been brilliant, but it sure was fun and I don't know. I thought that was neat. Yeah. So we've been talking about theme a lot all night because it's so intertwined here with the mechanisms. You want to kick us off with theme and production? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, the production. I mean, it's lots of art. It's like very detailed cartoon art. Not exactly cartoon art is the wrong word, but it's it's art based on the movies and the characters that you know from the movies and the TV shows. And But it's very realistic. It's very realistic art. But it looks really cool. I like the way that the cards looked. And in terms of the theme of this game, holy cow. I think that the theme was wound in so nicely into this game. I mean, I honestly feel like they've perfected deck building with this game almost. I mean, I don't I don't want to be hyperbolic and, you know, overstate this, but some of the concerns that I have about deck building where they like you can buy any faction you want, which is thematically inappropriate. And <laughs> you just have a handful of various things that don't actually fit together in any way. They fix that. They added in the track with the force, which is huge for Star Wars. You have to have the force. Mm-hmm. And this had the force and it did cool things. That was perfect. I love that. I mean, just 
I thought there was so much good stuff happening in this game. I, I, I maybe I'm tipping my hand a little bit more than I should about what right. my final thoughts are. So I'll let I'll, I'll let you get into it before we get into the final thoughts. I can't agree with you more, Chris. The theme was fantastic, and it covers the full spectrum. It has early Star Wars. It has Cassie and Andor, so that's at least through Rogue One. I think there's some nods to uh, like Mandalorian. I'm not sure about that. I don't want to say stuff that I'm not necessarily sure about, but the potential is there for this thing to cover. Uh, even new Star Wars shows as they come out, they can just release a new expansion or new pack, which I'm sure they will do. I'm going to touch on that here a bit. But what they have right now is absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to play this again as a Star Wars fan. I think Tim is going to love this once he gets his hands on it. It absolutely blends the mechanics perfectly with the theme here. So that's fantastic. Now, production-wise, I have some critiques you look at the production in Star Wars, the iconography, just the purchase power, whatever you want to call it, the attack power and the health are displayed so nicely. You've got the yellow money, you've got the green health, you've got the red attack, and it's just right there and bright on the card. Here they have some little symbols. They have the cost of the card, which is big. And then they have this little resource thing and a little attack thing and a little force thing. And they're all white text on top of red with a tiny little symbol next to it. Man, I know they're probably trying to save some money on ink, but if they could have made those three different colors with that little symbol on it, it would have just made the ability to parse information that much quicker and that much easier. So I think they missed that a little bit. They could have had that that next piece to it would have been fantastic in my mind. I'm glad you brought that up because I was so busy gushing over the theme and the cool art that I, I overlooked that. But that's actually a really good point. There's no reason. I mean, in these little symbols that don't even look that different. I mean, your money is a little square. The force is a little circle. And I guess attack is a little gun. So, but they're these tiny little symbols that, tiny. you know, yeah, I, it, they, they could have done better with that. All right. Well, Chris, I think we know your final thoughts. I'll jump in with my final thoughts here and let you finish it <laughs> off. Um, but I would absolutely request to play this one again. I might have to go buy this one despite its production funkiness. Theme is at, knocks it out of the park. I love Star Wars. The one thing that concerns me, and I hinted at it, is this is a fantasy flight game. They're known for making these collectible card games. Oh, wait, this is a deck builder. Adam. This is what I think the new model is. Star Realms releases a new deck every three, a new expansion, they call it, every three or four months. And it's cheap, four bucks, five bucks or something like that. But then three months later, you're buying another one. And three months later, you're buying another one. And 40 decks later, you're into this thing for, I don't know, 80 bucks or something like that. I can see Fantasy Flight going that way, kind of turning this into a collectible situation with all the possible expansions. There's no C-3PO. There's no R2-D2. There's a lot of characters missing. I think they don't have the fully, the Andor series included here or the Mandalorian series included. So there's a lot of room to exploit uh, the, my pocketbook for sure, because I think I will be buying this one and probably buying any expansion that comes out for it as well. Absolutely love this game. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I get your point. But if Star Realms is any yardstick to measure it by a few bucks every couple of years, every you know year or so, I get your frustration. But at the same time, 
I almost don't begrudge them. I mean, they got to make a buck. You know, that's how they that's how these games get made. And this is otherwise such an outstanding game that I have a hard time getting too upset about the need to buy an additional pack every once in a while. If there's anything about it that does kind of tweak me a little bit. It's like there's no C-3PO and R2-D2, like seriously. Like, you yeah. know they went into that going, we're going to be selling the robots, you know, pack. So I, that's a little bit annoying, but whatever. I, I can get over that for a game this good. Agreed. Well, that'll wrap up the discussion tonight. Thanks, Chris. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Sorry for all of the omissions that uh, Tim didn't send us on the show notes. Uh, <laughs> email him with your complaints. There was, Tim did tell me there was some reviews that came in, there was about uh, eight of them. And then four of them said Chris was their favorite host. And four of them said I was their favorite host. So I think that puts you in the lead. That puts me second, Chris. Wow, man, what a big turnaround. What a big turnaround. It's crazy. Other than that, we'll be back next week. Take care, everybody. Or maybe we won't be back next week. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see who's around next week. <laughs> That's right. That's very true. Uh, good night, all. Bye-bye.